everybody. Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles this morning, Gospel of Luke chapter number 10. We are thrilled to be here. Tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. is a very important time. Can you imagine now if your wife was going to be in surgery for a potential four, listen now, to 12 hours? It's going to be a long surgery. It's going to be a tedious surgery. How many of you will join me in promising Brother Merrill that at 8 a.m., if you're on the road to work or if you're at work or if you're having breakfast at 8 a.m., you will pray for Tricia Merrill in the morning. Would you join me with doing that? Would you raise your hands real I got 100%, brother. And uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be in the air in the morning at 8 a.m., but you can pray upstairs as well as downstairs. So we're going to intercede for you. We thank God for uh, the last nine months we've been calling it our journey. of. My wife was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. We were in Cocoa Beach, Florida, thought she had a bad case of the flu. And so when they said leukemia, you get your heart out of your shoes and try to figure out where you're going from there. We canceled half our meetings, but God has shown up in a big way. We had uh, her cancer went into remission. They actually said without treatment she had two to three months to live. And so it went into remission, and then we had to have a bone. No, sent over a package of about eight and a half million of his uh, red blood cells from the bone marrow. And she took it, and it was totally successful. I'm now married to a woman that has a man's DNA. You figure that out. <laughs> And um, I'll let you do the rest of that. <laughs> but uh, she's recovering every day. She did lose a lot of weight, lost all her hair. But you know God's good all the time. Now some of you were very weak on that. I want to say it again. God is good all the time. Amen. He's good in the, on the mountain. He's good in the valley. And uh, so I told my wife, we're not missing one day of what God has. Uh, we have four oncologists, a Jewish man, Catholic man, Hindu, and Muslim. That's an international ministry. <laughs> and every one of them have uh, received the gospel. Every one of them we've had an opportunity with. One who is an internal specialist is named Dr. Amawi. Dr. Amawi kept coming in and he said, uh, I pray for you. And so one day I said, sir, are you a born-again believer? He said, no, I'm a devout Muslim. And I said, well, I'm a devout Christian, so we're going to have a lot of fun over the next few months. And uh, he would come in and he would listen. And one day he came in. My, my daughter is an ER nurse. And so she has stepped out of the nursing field to nurse her mother back to health. Or I couldn't take any meetings. And so we're grateful for her. And he came in, spent five minutes with my wife. And then Dr. Maui sat down and gave me 45 minutes. And my, when he walked out, my daughter said, Dad, you don't understand. They do not do this. He said, these professionals don't do that. So I went over the entire gospel presentation. I explained to him that Jesus was not just a prophet. He was certainly not a martyr. He is God. He's not arguing with me. It's interesting. He's listening. And so I said to my wife as I held her hand, we would have never met Dr. Maui unless God put cancer on our schedule. There's a lot of things I don't put on my schedule, but God does. And you've got to be willing to allow God to interrupt anything that you're doing to do everything He wants to do. And you've got to understand during the good times and the bad times, He is still good and He's good all the time. So our latest uh, prognosis is that she'll make full recovery. She probably won't be able to travel uh, in evangelism until May. And so we're readjusting our schedule. But you know what, brother? Our schedule doesn't belong to us anyway. It's God's in charge of that. Yeah, how many of you have, uh, have experienced cancer? Would you raise your hand? Wow. Okay, put them down. 
How many of you have cancer in your family? Have ever had it in your family? Would you raise your hand? It's got to be 90% of you. So you can understand, those of you that have experienced it, and those of you three. And by the way, I bring greetings to you from our friend Morris Gleiser, who uh, had trouble when he was here, and uh, he is doing much better. The cancer is in remission. His bone marrow transplant is working. I talked to him just yesterday. And they are telling him, by the grace of God, he will be able to travel again by the middle of January and preach the Word of God. So he sends greetings to you and thanks you for praying. And uh, God's alive. He's doing well. He can do anything but fail. So rejoice. Amen. Now Luke chapter 10 today. I hope you'll come back tonight. This evening I'll bring a Thanksgiving message. In fact, I'm going to bring you a message entitled An Attitude of Gratitude. I hope you'll be here. If you know anybody that doesn't have a good attitude, that you'll bring them with you. And uh, we'll have a good time. And then I believe it's chilly time, if I understand. Stand please for the reading of the Word of the Living God, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and following. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What's written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. He said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto, uh, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him and half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring it oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn or hotel, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now these three thinkest thou was neighbor in him that fell among the thieves? The lawyer said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. I bring you a simple message this morning entitled, What It Takes to Be a Good Samaritan. Thank you. Would you be seated? We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Parkway. Thank you for the nice cosmetic changes that are being made and the folks, folks that are investing and the way the building is looking. But more than that, thank you for the changes that you're making in lives. Thank you for those that have been saved as a result of this ministry even since Pastor Grant has been here. Thank you for those who are becoming a part of this ministry and helping to move it forward. We thank you today that you make no mistakes. We're lifting up again our sister Tricia. Comfort her, speak to her. Help Brother Merrill today to be encouraged in the Lord and anyone today that may be walking through a valley. Help them understand they're not alone. You promised I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now if there's anybody who's come to church and not to Christ, may they understand the difference today between religion and a relationship and get born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Every crowd has its critics. That was certainly true in the day of Jesus. If you study Luke 9 and 10, you'll find the following events. Jesus first preached to the multitudes. He then challenged the 70, went by himself to pray to his heavenly Father. In this 10th chapter, he's instructing the 12 disciples. Seemingly out of nowhere, an unnamed student of the Mosaic Law stands to pose a question concerning eternal life. 
Now, Jesus didn't answer his question because he knew the motivation behind it. He let the lawyer answer it, who answered it correctly, and then he controversially asked, who is my neighbor? This fellow reminds me of people that are in independent Baptist churches, and maybe on Sunday night they will stand in the lobby or outside, and they will debate some finer point of theology, which we will never solve until we get to heaven. But that same person's never been across the street to say to their neighbor, Jesus saves. So the story is not just for the lawyers, for all of us. It's been canonized to teach us the issue at hand is not who's my neighbor, but to whom can I be a neighbor. Notice the story begins down in verse number 30. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Jericho Road I've been on multiple times is about 15 miles long. It still today can be dangerous. In that day, highwaymen would hide, pounce upon the passersby, take everything they had. Historians tell us rarely did anybody go by themselves because of fear of the robbers. It happens to this unnamed man. So first this morning, I want you to see what I'm calling the condition of the stranger. He has no name, but he has a physical problem. He's been attacked. He's been left for dead. He's been robbed. Now, if you study your Bible, you'll find many times physical conditions parallel spiritual conditions in the Bible. For instance, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are blind leaders of the blind. Now, they could see physically, but they couldn't see spiritually. He also said to them in Mark 8, 18, you have ears, but you don't hear. He wasn't saying you don't hear words. He was saying you're not getting the messages. So many times in the Bible, there's some symbolism. This morning, I want you to notice that this man first has been assaulted, and this man represents all of us when we were born on the highest. In verse 22, the scriptures conclude getting better. We were born bad, getting worse. Galatians 3 and verse 22, the scriptures conclude all under sin. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, 20, there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So this is a picture of all of us who are born helpless and hopeless. He's been assaulted, but the Bible goes on and tells us that he had fallen among thieves which stripped him. Do you know this picture of a lost person? Hebrews 4.13 says we're all naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You can dress yourself up and come to church, but God's not looking at your clothes. He's looking at your heart. And he says, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he goes on and he says in verse number 30 that he was wounded. Picture of a lost person. Isaiah 1, 6, from the sole of the foot to the crown of the head, there's no soundness in us. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they've not been mollified with ointment or closed. And then he said, they left him half dead. You say, well, that can't be a picture of a sinner. Well, the Bible says, you hath he quickened, Ephesians 2, 1, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Did you know when you and I were born, we were still born? We were alive in the body, but we were dead in the spirit. You know, it's a problem a lot of people who go to church. They don't realize how desperate of a need they have for Jesus Christ. One of the ugliest things in human history would be Calvary if you don't understand his meaning. Here's a naked man dying on a cross, the most agonizing death. But wait a minute, there's a reason that man was dying on a cross. He was the God-man who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But if you and I don't understand that we're sick and dead and without God, we have no need of a Savior. Recently, the Merrills had a diagnosis that they didn't know. 
Now there's a desperate situation. Why is he willing tomorrow to allow a doctor that he's just met to use an instrument that is almost brand spanking new on a wife that he's been married to for multiple years because there is a serious situation? He's convinced there is an answer and there is hope. Nobody, ladies and gentlemen, ever gets saved until they first get lost. The word saved means to rescue or be delivered. You don't need a Savior if you can save yourself. So here's a man who is helpless and hopeless. But he's not only been assaulted, he's been abandoned. The Bible says they left him. The thieves left him. They didn't want anything to do with him. What bothers me is the theologians left him. When you get to verse 31, you will notice that the Bible says there was a priest that came, but he passed by on the other side. There were 12,000 priests in Jerusalem at that time. Here's a guy that's professional but has no personal touch. Here's a fellow that's in the ministry, but the ministry's not in him. Aren't you glad if you're a member here at Parkway Baptist Church, you don't just have a pastor who happens to preach some nice messages, but he loves Jesus and he loves you. Can I get an amen? amen. If you're visiting today, you come back next Sunday, he won't take five minutes into his message to see his compassion. But here's a man that really didn't care. He passed by on the other side. And verse 32 is the Levite. Well, we'll make him a Sunday school teacher or an usher. Now, he stops and looks, but he still passes by on the other side. First man was calloused. Second man was concerned. Get it? Neither man stopped. Dear friend, when it comes to evangelizing people who are helpless and hopeless, it's not your emotion that makes the difference. It's your action that makes the difference. Now, I've got good news for you. If you're sitting in this church and you're saying, this is me and I'm in definite need, you're in the right place at the right time. Because I'm going to introduce to you today Jesus Christ who is the conqueror of everybody's sin. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you realize if you'll see that you're dead and trust Christ, you'll be raised to walk. That you're wounded, he will heal you. If you understand that you're damned, he'll deliver you because there's nothing Jesus can't do for any sinner who'll come to Jesus by faith. So here's the condition of the stranger. But then I want you to go down to verse 33 and notice the compassion of the Samaritan. A certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. I want to show you some simple principles today that I hope you can use every day in your life. How would you know if you're being a good Samaritan? Well, let's see what this guy did. Number one, a good Samaritan will stop. In verses 31 and 32, what did the priest and the Levite do? They didn't stop. One slowed down, but neither stopped. What did the Samaritan do? He stopped. Now, wait a minute. This is evidently a Jewish man that a Samaritan is stopping for. You've got to understand history to appreciate that. Did you realize that the Jewish nation were racist in their day? I hear all about this today. The Jewish nation thought they were the only ones that could go to heaven. And they hated the Samaritans. Because Samaria, the Jewish and the Gentiles had intermarried and they treated them like trash. But here's a half-breed stopping for a thoroughbred Jew who, by the way, really needs the half-breed's help. Isn't that amazing? And so he's stopping. Now, I have a question. Do you understand in this passage of Scripture, the Good Samaritan has, it, it symbolizes a couple of folks. Number one, it symbolizes Jesus, the Great Samaritan, because he stops at every emergency. But number two, he ought to symbolize you and me. Where did Jesus stop? Well, you remember in Mark chapter 5, there was a woman with an issue of blood She's gone to all the doctors. She's still sick. 
she said, well, as a last resort, I'm going to Jesus. It's too bad she didn't go to Jesus first because she could have been healed and had her money. You can try everything you want, but if you go to heaven, you'll still come to Jesus because nobody else can take you to heaven. When she reached out and touched his robe, Jesus stopped and said, who touched my clothes? Now, folks, you got to understand this. Jesus never asked a question for information. He knows everything. He asked that question for identification because the Bible said whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. She identifies herself. She comes home whole. Please don't miss this. God is not too busy for you. You may have come this morning and you feel as lonely as you've ever felt sitting with people in an auditorium. Jesus cares. If you reach out to him, he'll reach back to you. So I have a question. Do you as a born-again believer, do you represent the Good Samaritan? Do you stop? Most of us live life in fourth gear and overdrive. The question is, do you have time to stop for the hurting? A number of years ago, we ate, and I said, as recently been saved, I said, man, we'd love to. So we sat down and we ate, and I said, as I do to everybody I meet, I said, please give me your testimony. A testimony means this. Frame up how you got saved. When did you get saved? Where would you get saved? Who led you to Christ? How you know we're going to heaven? Frame it up. The man gave me his testimony. I said to the lady, would you tell me? She said, well, let me ask you, have you ever been to Denver, Colorado? I said, yes. She said, have you ever preached at South Sheridan Baptist Church? Now, that church has changed names, but I said, yes, many times. I said, did you get saved at South Sheridan Baptist Church? She said, no, I never went to that church. I said, lady, you got me really guessing now. She said, there was a lady from that church that always came to the grocery store where I worked. She would get in my line. She would pay her bill. She would smile, hand me a gospel leaflet, and she'd say, honey, I love you, and you need Jesus. I said, is that when you got saved? She said, no, that's when I started wanting to be saved. If you miss this, you'll miss church today because some of you have given out tracts and haven't seen a lot of fruit. You just keep giving out loving people because God's using them. She said on a Monday night, people where when I go to church came over on what they call soul winning visitation, but you don't want to do that because it really doesn't work. And they came on Monday night and they told us how to be saved and we're both saved. Can you tell me who that woman is? I want to contact her. I called the previous pastor, 90-something years of age. He doesn't know. Present pastor doesn't know, but I know who does know. His name's Jesus. See, that lady didn't go to get a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. She went on a mission as a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan will stop. Number two, a good Samaritan will see because when he came where he was, he saw him. Now, the first two people saw a dangerous situation. The Samaritan saw a dying soul. First two guys said, if we stop, we'll get beat up. Second guy said, that could be me and I could be beat up and I'm going to stop and do what I wish somebody else would do for me. That's what real love does. I have a question. What kind of spiritual vision do you have? Do you really see people as Jesus sees them? One of my favorite stories is in Luke chapter 19 about Zacchaeus. Uh, if you've read it, you realize that he was a smaller stature fellow who was an IRS agent. When I tell this story to teenagers, I say, here was a Jewish IRS agent that was a midget stuck in a tree. And so Jesus comes to the bottom of the tree and he looks up and he saw him. By the way, he's looking at you right now. And he sees everything about you. You don't have to get introduced to him. He knows every strain of DNA in your body. 
He calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. Now, you can stay up the tree of religion and go down to hell. You can come down to the feet of Jesus and go up to heaven. But you only have two choices. He came down. He went home. He got saved. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has come, don't miss this, to seek and to save that which was lost. We call Jesus Savior. He is, but he's also seeker. And I hear a lot of people say, I'm looking for God. I have good news. He's been looking for you before you ever started looking for him. Now, my question to you is, do you look? Do you see? What do you see? What do you see when people are not like you? They don't dress like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you. They actually do what sinners do. They sin. So how do you see them? Some years ago, I was heading for a Bible conference. I was dressed a little bit like this. Had my briefcase. Get on the plane. I always get an aisle seat. Somebody said, preacher, why? Well, number one, if I need the restroom, I don't want to crawl over everybody. Number two, if I'm witnessing, I'm not going to let them out. <laughs> and number three, if the plane goes down, I'm going to run the aisle before I go to heaven. That's the reason I get an aisle seat. So I, I'm three rows from where I'm going to sit, and there's a guy with spiked hair, earrings, tattoos. I mean, he is a piece of work. You say, what did you think? I thought, hot dog, this is going to be a great ride because he was sitting next to me. So I put my stuff up, sat down, stuck my hand in his hand. I said, hey, pal, what's your name? And he told me, I said, where are you from? He told me. I said, where are you going? He told me. I said, what are you going there for? He said, funeral. I said, who died, son? He said, my grandpa. I said, I'll bet you're sitting in this seat thinking about the day you're going to die. He said, how'd you know that? I said, because everybody goes to a funeral and thinks about their own. He said, that's what I'm thinking about. I said, well, that's good because God sent an independent Baptist evangelist to tell you how to get ready to die. He said, really? I said, yeah, and I'm him. And so I said, I am. I said, now, when this boat gets off the ground, we're going to talk. He was not the least bit embarrassed. I opened my Bible. I showed him as a sinner like I was, heading to hell like I was. Jesus died for him, buried, raised again. Showed him the gospel. I would love to tell you the story. He got saved in the seat. He did not, but he was very interested. So we get off the plane. He says, sir, where's your next gate? I said, son, I'm really in a close time period here. He said, I'm not. Can I walk with you? Now, some of you don't have the picture yet. I'm dressed like this, and I got one of the hell's angels escorting me to the next gate. You got the picture now? So I get there, and I get out a gospel leaflet, and I said, son, you're not far from the kingdom. I said, if you'll read this and believe this, I'll meet you in heaven one day. He said, sir, thank you for caring about me. You know what we're worried about? We're worried that we might get shut down that we might get cussed out. You could. A good Samaritan will see, but wait a minute, the Bible goes on and says he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. A good Samaritan will sense. Somebody said, compassion is your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. In Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He cared. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, we didn't give you the gospel of God only, but also our own soul. I hope you've learned how to be a soul winner. I hope you'll go out on visitation. I hope you'll talk about Jesus Christ. But I want to give you a real heads up. You can give every detail in every verse, and you can be totally theologically correct and see nobody saved. Because it takes more. It takes the love of Jesus. A friend of mine used to live in this state now in heaven. He said, Doc, let me tell you a story. He said, I led a man to Christ. 
He said, the first thing he said to me, can I go with you to tell other people about this? That's a good sign he's been saved. So we go to our first visit. He said, of all places, the guy is ornery. He is profane. He is mean. And I'm not getting anywhere. And I'm thinking, of all the houses to go to, this guy's going to be discouraged. He'll never go again. He said, pretty soon I noticed that this old hardened sinner I'm witnessing to is not even looking at me. He's looking at the new convert. He said, I quit saying anything, looked over, and I noticed this guy is crying. This old hardened sinner said, what's wrong with you? Oh, he said, sir, I just got saved myself a few days ago. I just don't want you to go to hell. He said, that mean, cantankerous sinner looked back at me, and he said, preacher, if it's that important, start over. He said, my new convert taught me and reminded me compassion makes a difference. He sensed. And finally, he sacrificed because if you look at the verse 34 and 35, he takes him to a hotel because they didn't have hospitals and he gets him unloaded and he gets his care and he stays overnight with him. So what did he sacrifice? He sacrificed time. If he met him in the afternoon and didn't leave till the next morning, just figure it out, he gave him at least a half day of his life. When's the last time you gave an unsafe sinner a half day of your life? I was preaching in Georgia, and an elderly man came up to me. He said, I understand you like to play golf. I said, I do. He said, I'll make you a deal. My brother likes to play golf, but he's had a stroke. He still likes to ride, but he can't play. If you will take him for 18 holes... I will put you on the best country club in this town, and he did. But you got a witness to him in all 18 holes. I'm thinking to myself, Brother Merrill, God and golf, it doesn't get any better than this. And so I said, it's a deal. Nancy Lopez teed off in front of me. That's the high dollar, and if you don't, she was an LPGA professional. I was glad, Scott, she didn't tee off behind me. She teed off in front. And so I would hit the ball and witness to the fellow's name Henry, if I remember. And after 18 holes, he said, I like you. My wife and I will be in church tonight. He came and sat about five rows from the front on the left-hand side, and he and his wife both trusted Christ that night. All I did was play golf and talk to him. I just gave him some time. About a year later, I saw his brother. I said, how's your brother doing? Oh, he said, he's fine. He's in heaven. People want to know if you have any time. Look, I hope you'll have special days. But I'm not preaching just for a special day this morning. I'm trying to help the church. I hope you'll have special days. But you cannot play this trick. You have this thing in your car that's like a magic wand. And as you're coming in the driveway, your garage door automatically opens. Neighbors see your taillights and headlights and taillights and headlights and taillights and and all of a sudden you're having a friend day. Could you come be my friend? Why would they want to be your friend? All they've ever seen is your headlights and taillights. But you know, sir, if you'd take an unsaved neighbor to play golf, they might be interested in friend day. If you'd have some unsaved neighbors in, they might be interested in your God. We used to live in Kansas City. And uh, we were not home much. It's Christmas time. Man comes over to me. He says, we're having open house. We just moved in a couple of months ago. We're having open house. Could you and your wife come? Well, I knew what he was saying. 
I said, who's coming? He said, as many neighbors as we can get. I said, well, you're not just inviting me to eat. He said, no, sir, I'm inviting you because I want you to help me witness to my neighbors. And I said, I'll be there. Well, that day, the day before it had snowed, it had began to thaw. You got the picture? Y'all live in Florida. How many of you have ever lived up north? Let me see your hand. You got it. And, and all you got is slush and mush and junk. So you understand what it looks like. They had white carpet. You want me to draw this one in vivid pictures for you? By the time we got there, the white carpet is multicolored. You got this? And two of the happiest people you've ever seen in your life who had white carpet with all kinds of footprints over it were rejoicing because they didn't care about their carpet. They cared about their neighbors. And they wanted them to come in and have a bite to eat and learn that somebody really loved them. It takes time. It takes toil. You don't go the guy's beat up and left for dead say, let me give you a hand. You got to get down, pick him up. Folks, listen to me. If you've never led anybody to Christ, it's probably because you've never really worked at it. When this fellow was a young fellow, and this guy was not even born, I was a lifeguard at the wilds, and on more than one occasion, I had to bring somebody to shore. It's really neat in practice. It's really hard in reality. And where people are sinking in sin, it takes time. It takes toil. And then it took treasure because he poured in oil and wine, which was expensive at that time. But if you read it carefully, he took out two pence. Let me explain that. The Jews and the Samaritans in that day made a penny a day. So here, businessman, is the fact. He took out two days' wages for one man's life. So let's review. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're a member of this church, and if you're not, one day you will be. But I have a question. Do you stop and see and sense and sense? That's why God brought you here today. You know the difference between today and tomorrow? Here it is. Your choice and God's power. You don't have to be tomorrow what you are today. I'm not preaching this morning so you leave and your head's so far down that you can't. I'm preaching so you'll understand, hey, I got a need. I am going to heaven, I'm saved, but I'm not a good Samaritan. The question is, do you want to be? Now, if you don't want to be, I can't help you. And if you have no desire to be, you ought to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because people who are really saved and they have been healed by God want others to have that. If my wife went over today to visit his wife, she would be able to minister to Trish far better than I would because I'm a caregiver. And I do care about these folks. But my wife would wrap her arms around Trish and she would get down and she would say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I've come through. You can too. And I tell you, when you meet Jesus and you get saved and you're not going to hell and you're not damned but you're delivered, there's something inside of you that wants to tell everybody you meet what he did for me, he can do for you. And if that's nowhere inside of you, then you need to meet Jesus. I want to do two things that I've done this morning. One, I want to ask you, what is it going to take for you to become a good Samaritan? For me, it was the death of a friend. He was not a close friend, but he was a friend. We were in high school together. His name was Scott. He was educationally off the charts, socially dysfunctional. 
Guys pushed him around. Girls made fun of him. But sometimes I ate with him. But I never gave him the gospel. And one day, his senior year, my junior, he went to the second floor of the chemistry lab and mixed what he, together what he knew would kill him, and he stumbled down two flights of steps and dropped dead before the 8.30 bell rang. And in a public high school, everybody knows about it. I was sitting in my room, my home room, and I had tears running down my cheeks. Girls were sobbing. I wish I hadn't treated him like that. Hey, let me tell you something. You don't tell a dead man I'm sorry. You better do it right the first time. Guys are saying, man, if I... I wasn't crying because they were crying. I'd never mistreated him. But I never loved him enough to tell him how to be saved. And as far as I know, since 1969, 79, 89, 99, 09, almost 19, for nigh well a half a century, a young man that I went to school with is in hell, screaming and burning and gasping for breath, and I'm one of the reasons. What's it going to take for you to become a good Samaritan? And I would be less than your friend today if I didn't stop at your emergency and say on Sunday morning, you can be in church. But the question is, are you in Christ? Not are you sitting in an auditorium, but have you been converted and saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Then you're in an emergency, and you need to see yourself as a sinner. It really doesn't make any difference how many churches you've gone to. It just makes you a religious sinner. And you'll be a Baptist today and still be a Baptist sinner. And you can have been baptized and just be a wet sinner. You'll be a Sunday school teacher and be a teaching sinner, but we're all sinners. And if you've never seen that, you've never been saved. And then you need to understand that there's not one thing. If you miss this, you'll miss heaven. There is not one thing a sinner can do for Jesus that will save him. None. Church. Baptism, confirmation, giving money, turning over new leaf, treating your fellow man right are your works. And Titus 3, 5 said, It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. If you could save yourself, God would have sent you a letter and told you how to do that. But His letter said you can't save yourself. Only He can. And if you die in your sin, the wages payment for sin is death. Death in the Bible is not annihilation, it's separation. When you die physically, your soul will come out of your body. But if you die and if you've not been converted, if you've not received Christ, your soul is condemned to hell. And it's not the other place, it's a real place. And there is no purgatory. There never has been, never will be. The Roman Catholic Church never taught purgatory until the 1100s. So there's a heaven, that's where he wants you. There's a hell, that's where he does not want you. But if you don't have your sins forgiven, no sin can get into heaven. Zero, nada. But the good news is Jesus loves you and proved it by dying in your place. He was sinless. We're the sinners. And what we could not do in a hundred lifetimes, he did in a matter of six hours. And when he died and blood came out of his body, it was for the remission, for the cleansing, and wiping the slate clean of every sin we've had. When they took him off the cross, he didn't swoon or pass out. He was dead, and they put him in the tomb. But three days later, he came out alive. If you read through the book of Acts, which my wife and I are having our devotion, resurrection.
And if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, this whole thing's a hoax. Man got mad at me and he said, what about all the other founders of all the other religions? I said, stand right there. Tell me any founder of any religion who died, was buried, and came back to life, and we'll talk. And he said, I understand. Religion won't do it, but a relationship will. If you'll admit that you're a sinner apart from God, that you're sentenced, damned, doomed, and cursed, but God doesn't want you there, and you'll understand that He alone is offering a gift, and by faith you'll take it, you can have spiritually what this man had physically. Here's a thought, we'll go home. What if the man had been semi-conscious? Semi what if he had argued with the Samaritan? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm doing my best. Hey, mister, I'm a Jew. You're not. Do you know how righteous I am? What if he'd argued? Well, the only person on that road that could have helped him. After a while, when you can't help somebody, you leave. And you need to understand, Jesus is not going to always be there. One day you can say to him as you walk out of Parkway Baptist Church for the last time, I'm okay. And walk away from him. And he can walk away from you. Because today is the day of salvation. You do not have to leave this building the way you came in. Are you certain you're going to heaven? If you're not, I have stopped by your emergency to tell you I can't save you, but Jesus can.